0: Very excited to have Michelle on the podcast. So, before we. Excited to be here. I, it's really great because, for one, we've known each other for a long, <laughs> long <laughs> time. I mean, a long time. A long time. So, we served together on the board of directors and we used to roommate when we were on the Athens Council back in the day. Yeah. And then also, mm-hmm. didn't you meet your husband at one of the Olympics when you are a researcher?
1: Is that how Yes. Happened? Yeah. So, in fact, in 92. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And you were there and got to <laughs> see me along that journey as well. So, <laughs> Exactly. So, we were, like, going on Olympics. She's like, I met someone. I was, like, during the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, needless to say, then, oh. then turned around and got married and had two kids. And yeah. Yeah. So. It's uh, so that's the first thing, and it and it's great. And so, yeah, I've been around for a long time. And so, as you know, the podcast is really talking to a lot of champion moms that have kids that are athletes, right? Because I serve so many parents, and um, I get questions all the time about, you know, having kids go through sports. And athletes tend to know how to do it since we did it before. And I think it's good for, you know, people to hear everybody's story from, whether it's gymnastics, which there are a lot of gymnasts, but I also have friends from other sports. And um, so let's start by telling your gymnastic, your your athletic story first.
1: Okay. Well, um, I started much like many other kids do of, you know, like sitting and watching the games and being inspired by athletes that you're watching on television and doing these amazing things. And, um, so my, my initial start was when I was probably five, almost six. And while I wasn't probably sitting there and watching my mom was, and she was like, aha, that's the answer to getting this young girl, my child, tired enough that she will go to bed before 11 (laughs) o'clock. So I was a high energy kid. Um, and I think it was this, gosh, I could, you know, like really direct that energy in a positive direction. So started, uh, like many kids do one hour class one day a week. And by the time I had, um, was, uh, had turned eight, um, I'd been doing the sport for a couple few years and, uh, that was then the 1976 games with Nadia Comaneci. Mm. So at that point, I was at an age where I understood it and really started to understand others in the sport. And then that summer of watching those games and the amazing things that she did um, were really what, for me, turned this love for a sport into my cause and calling. <laughs> and I think that... Um, I I tell the story a lot in the fact that, and I remember like the night watching her when she scored the first perfect 10, I can remember everything about the room, what we ate for dinner, who, you know, who was in the room, what we were there. And it was just like, I was so focused and locked in on this, that it was, it was a life changing moment for me because I was a kid who had. Talent and you know some kind of raw talent and drive, but not a kid that people would look at and go, "Oh my gosh, that that kid's going to be you know like she's really going to make it." I was scrappy. I was someone who needed a lot of direction, but I wasn't afraid to work hard and and um, kind of put myself into everything. That when I saw her score the first perfect ten, she did the impossible. She did what people thought was to be impossible. And for me, it almost gave me license to dream that, gosh, if she could do what was impossible, why can't I have dreams or goals that may seem impossible, but that I could put out there and work towards. And so that was kind of my beginnings in the sport. Um, like many young kids, you you go through the levels, you take one step at a time. Um, I was so fortunate to have a great support system, great parents, um, coaches, teachers, uh, teammates, that, you know, all of that came together in that summer of 84. And as you know, Wendy, it's uh, so much of it's luck, too. Uh, you can have all the right pieces and, and tools in place for success, but it can come down to an injury, an illness, an unfortunate event or circumstance that can derail. So I stayed pretty healthy that year. Um, went through the trials process, did pretty well, and then um, ended up competing in Los Angeles right in my hometown backyard. Right, And, um, you know, I had just finished my freshman year in high school when I competed in LA wow. in 84. So I always joke that, you know, like, I had a pretty good, uh, (laughs) what did you do on your summer break story when I went back (laughs) to school? So, um, so yeah. So, and I think that it was such a impressionable experience for me that, you know, it was well beyond the competitive side. And really I, I took in the whole meaning of the Olympic movement, the values and ideals, that, you know, this is a much bigger event than any one person's competitive experience or journey, but that you're there to hopefully pay it forward for others too. So that's kind of what I've, do, you know, done through my life. I've tried to look at opportunities where I can contribute and give back. And, um, it was just a great, wonderful experience and a sport that I loved and it was awesome. So. That is so cool. Cause yeah, it's interesting. You
0: have, so much of your career and just stay close to the Olympic movement. There are a lot of athletes that do the Olympics and then like exit stage left and do something totally, especially when you're young, right? You were, you were so young. So you definitely could have like started something else totally new, but you already stayed close to the Olympic movement. And of course it was such an exciting time. I mean, gymnastics in the 1980s was just, you know, you guys, it was so exciting. So you stay close. <laughs> you went to the Olympics, met your honey, honey. <laughs> <laughs> because We all work so hard, right? It's like a crazy, exciting thing. But And research, yeah. yeah, is a lot. So yes, yeah, so you met your, your spouse and got married and had two girls. And I was around, I was around, especially for the first, right? So tell us about your journey as a mom and raising another athlete.
1: Yeah, so Matt and I met in 92 at the Barcelona Games. We were both hired by um, NBC to be researchers for kind of in a sports specific role. So I was hired to be a gymnastics researcher. Matt was hired to be this the researcher for swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, he had just finished an internship with USA Swimming. And so he was providing those... Behind the scenes details and you know fact checking for script writers for Bob Costas, as I was doing the same for gymnastics, and so we met. We kind of dated long distance for a while because we came back to the states. We had different jobs, uh, different responsibilities and uh, commitments that we had made after coming back. But then after a while, we I moved to Colorado Springs and we got married and then had our first daughter in. The summer of 1999. And so in terms of uh, just as a journey, as a new and young mom, um, you know, that's that's a lot. What to expect when you're expecting, you know, you read the books and you get ready and you prepare. and um, But then we got some news about halfway through my pregnancy that some of my tests and markers that you do at about that midpoint came back out of line My doctor called me and said, you know, we're just going to check. You know, it could be several different things, but let's bring you in for an ultrasound. And it was at that ultrasound that we discovered that um, the baby had spina bifida. And so spina bifida is a neural tube defect. And um, it happens very, very early on in pregnancy. But it's basically when the spinal cord doesn't form correctly. And so with that comes a multitude of health and, um, you know, health issues that have to be considered with regards to um, uh, physical mobility. So if the spinal cord's not forming correctly, um, that means paralysis happens. There are uh, some other physiological things that happen that require surgeries. And it's a lot of different health effects that, that happen with spina bifida. And so at that moment, it was it was not only learning how to be a new mom, but trying to learn as much as we could about this diagnosis and being as prepared as we could be for her arrival. And so Abby was born in June of 99 and uh, you know, we, we learned along the way and there were, you know, in that first year she had six surgeries um, before turning one and it was really tough. It was um, she crying because She's hungry or is she crying because something really big is happening? And and so it was a learning process. Um, the internet was just kind of at its very early stages. And so you're going to the library and checking out books and trying to connect with other families and parents who have young children with spina bifida. Right and so we we kind of start along this journey of um learning how to be new parents in a, a unique and different way and and having a little bit of a different path towards you know young parenthood that was uh That's a lot. it was scary it was scary um it was daunting but it was also i think you learned this amazing community and how much the Community of Spina Bifida has, and you know, just enriching lives and you know, wonderful connections and people that we've met, and so it's always been a different path than what you kind of envisioned, right. but um, but it's been a pretty amazing journey as well. So
0: yeah, so I think even before when we talk about the sports part of it, because she's quite the athlete, I really remember you're advocating for like playgrounds with accessible yes. thing, you know, that type of thing. I don't know if people think about this, but you're, you're bringing a young child in, but your advocacy, and I don't know if being in Colorado Springs around so many sports stuff, but tell us about that part.
1: Yeah, so, um, so I think, you know, we knew halfway through the pregnancy about Abby's condition, mm. and so you think, you know, you're so focused on the medical side of it, of, you know, making sure that you're attending to those medical needs, especially early on. And I remember there, it was a, uh, so we were, we had lived in Colorado Springs and then right before she was born, we moved to Los Angeles. Uh, Matt got a new job that took us out there, which was kind of, um, part of the decision that we made to make that move was that my family was all still in Southern California and we knew about Abby and her diagnosis. And so it was great business opportunity and work opportunity for Matt, but also a chance to be back in your family during a time that we thought we might need a little more help and support. And so, um, Abby was about six months old and it was a beautiful day. Um, and it was just, you know, a day to, take her outside and go to a park and a playground. And it was kind of a moment, another pivotal moment for me um, of sitting there and realizing at that point, we didn't know what her true mobility would be. We knew she, she had paralysis, but you know, at six months old she wasn't walking and um, she was certainly delayed with certain mobility um, issues, but not walking, wasn't sure if she was going to walk or what that was going to be like, but here I am at a park. We go near the playground and we're sitting there and we kind of sat near the sand and she was, let her play in the sand and everything. And then I realized, oh my gosh, you know, like sand is so inaccessible. If she's going to be a wheelchair user or if she has to use a walker to get around. right? Either way, she was not, she was going to have a very, um, Inaccessible place to play, and a place that would have several barriers for her to play and interact with other kids. And um, it was like getting hit with a ton of bricks, mm. and another sort of stark realization as a young parent of challenges that she was going to potentially face. And so, and it was about that same time that opened the paper in Los Angeles and read an article about some young moms who are starting to build universally accessible playgrounds. And to me, it was that aha moment of here's where I can be part of something really positive and be an advocate for Abby and her peers. To have an accessible place to play. So picked up the phone, the research I could do to find a phone number to call uh, for the organization, connected with them, did some volunteering and worked with, um, it's called Shane's Inspiration, and um, connected with The founders of the organization, also other young parents who who worked, who coincidentally, they all had young girls about Abby's age. So uh, it was a fun, you know, it was connecting kind of on a young parent level, but also um, connecting with people who had uh, a similar passion for the cause and helped in any way that I could to support what they were doing. Uh, Life took us back to Colorado Springs, but in having that experience, I left knowing that I wanted to do a project like that back here in Colorado Springs. So, um, a handful of years later, I had gone back to work full time, and uh, when Abby was about seven, and then we then had a, a second daughter, Zoe, who was about three. Um, for me, it was time to like make a little bit of a shift and pivot in my life and and path to focus on getting a playground built. So worked with the city of Colorado Springs, did some fundraising, did a lot of, you know, meetings with local community members, city council, prospective donors, and uh, built Swing High Playground. And so we opened in May of 2010 and it was the first universally accessible playground in the Colorado Springs area. But for us, it was was really, it was part of, building a space for Abby to play it was educating the local community that while playgrounds have guidelines that they have to follow with the Americans with Disabilities Act they are pretty minimal and so it fits a requirement that the law re- that the law states that you have to you know comply with as a playground but the functionality of it right. is not really there. So it says, you know, you have to have a platform that will allow you to get to the play equipment. But then once you get to the play equipment, those, you know, the play equipment can have stairs. Yeah. Um, So basically it allows a child to roll up in a wheelchair to get to the play equipment, which then they have to get out of their wheelchair and crawl. And a universally designed playground is ramped from bottom to top, and has, you know, attributes that allow kids to play side by side. And so, and it's not, um, the playground is not built as a retrofit, but really as a, you know, blank paper, you know, you start with a blank sheet of paper and you design it from the ground up. So what was really cool about that process is that Abby was very involved. So she at a very young age became her own self advocate and, um, you know, great memory of us going to the city council meeting, we had been invited to speak about the project. We weren't yet at a point to really start building, but we wanted to kind of present the idea of, you know, like this is in process. We want to inform you of what we're doing. We would appreciate your support as we go through and, you know, do this. And so I spent about five minutes giving all of the technical aspects of the playground, why it was needed, the number of community members that it would serve. And then Abby got up and had her little note cards and she gave her own presentation. And by the time she finished, they were ready to write a check. And so, um, and I think what we found out is the power of Abby having that voice. I mean, it's one thing to present a project and to lay out the blueprints and the design and the plans and the kind of fundraising target and date that you want to open and and but then when you see somebody who that project will benefit it's a game changer and so it was a great project and process for us all to go through and I think it really empowered Abby to have that voice and to build that confidence that she could speak for herself and, and others who need to be heard. And I think that was really critical for her in, you know, playing sports and, and being involved in athletics too.
0: I hear from a lot of the champion moms, they talk about how important it is to advocate to have their young people advocate for themselves to either communicate to their coaches or something, because they don't really want to be the ones in there having to do that one. And there's something about that power uh, it's kind of a recurring theme, but I also want to to tell us about her sports journey because her sports journey is pretty, I mean, long, 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 and I, I know a lot of people may not know about um, the opportunities that she had through her sports, so I don't know if having you as a mom meant she was going to go to sports automatically, but tell us how Abby got into her, her sports career.
1: So, I mean, the fact that Matt and I are both involved in the Olympic movement and Paralympic movement as well, um, we came in as parents with, you know, kind of armed with a little bit more information on how to get involved. But it was still hard. I mean, it was still, you know, work for us to find local grassroots programs that she could get involved with. We probably had more information on what was kind of like the landscape nationally, but it still came down to finding those programs at a local level. And so, um, but what we wanted to do was make sure she had a chance to try a lot of different things. Part of that was when I left my full time job; that was not only to work on the playground, but also with both girls getting to that age where they were going to be involved in, you know, their own kind of opportunities to to drive different sports and music and art that allowed me to have more flexibility to, to find and seek those opportunities. You know, finding a local wheelchair basketball club is not as easy as finding a local basketball club. (laughs) And so um, there just isn't there, you know, there aren't the number of clubs available. Um, Oftentimes they will be a further distance from Where you live. So for us, living in Colorado Springs, even though it's the home to the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee, there weren't any local clubs. And so once a week, we would drive up to Denver, which is about an hour and 15 minutes. And she would then do her practice up there. And, but we, we as parents felt like it was important for her to have those opportunities to participate in sport because we both knew what sport could provide and offer to kids as a developmental experience. We all know that sport ends at some point. We all know that sports is great and wonderful, and you can, you know, have those league championships or you know go to state and 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 have that success. But the real value in sport is what those life lessons are that you learn and what you can take with you when you become an adult. And so, with both girls, we felt like that was a really important opportunity to make sure that they had, um, but not. Directing them, or you know, like keeping it narrow for them to choose what sport to do. So, um, my younger daughter Zoe did gymnastics for a little bit, but uh, we we all knew that that was not going to be the sport for her. Um, and so, it was funny because she had done it for a little bit, she stepped away from it, and then it was during the 2012 London Olympics right. that she absolutely fell in love with Gabby Douglas. And she begged me to go back to gymnastics, and I it was like, <laughs> okay, right, we we can do it. But I knew that this was going to be another kind of short lived experience. The one thing that we did um, kind of really make sure that with whatever the girls were choosing to do, that they at least fulfilled their commitment to what, whether it was the season or whatever that term of commitment was, that was the one thing we stayed pretty like strict on was if you've made a commitment to participate with a team or you know with a group that you see through that commitment and then once that commitment's finished, then of course if it's not the right thing but and so, uh, Abby had the chance to try a lot of different things. Her first sport experience was uh sled hockey. Wow. And mm-hmm. so we, it was, it was hilarious. We were, um, she was probably four or four and a half. And we got this email, Hey, come try sled hockey. And um, just come, we've got equipment. And, and I remember Matt and I were so excited because this was her first chance to try a sport. And so we're like, this is it. This is the moment, you know. Um, she gets to try an adaptive sport. We were, you know, like it was this moment that we had kind of thought wasn't going to be possible. We weren't sure what, you know, she would have the opportunity to do. And, you know, with spina bifida, you know, you can have a clinical diagnosis, but that could be drastically different from what functional diagnosis mm. the child has okay. so you can have two people with spina bifida with the same clinical diagnosis but they can have completely different means for function that look completely different and so at the beginning we weren't sure if she would even have the chance to to do sport so this was a monumental moment in our minds <laughs> for her to get to try a sport and and have some fun and um, the destination that uh, The ice hall where they were doing this try sled hockey at was about an hour and a half drive. Now, mind you, she's like four and a half. Zoe's one. And we're now packing up a car and driving an hour and a half for her to try sled hockey. So we do the drive. We get up there. It takes another 30, 45 minutes to get her situated in a piece of equipment. And just about the time that she's all set and ready to go onto the ice somebody comes in with this big basket of snacks and she just, her head was on a swivel. It was like, (laughs) she was like focused in on that snack basket. She was on the minute, she was on the ice for about five minutes before she was like, okay, I think it's time for a (laughs) snack. And so I think she spent a total of five minutes on the ice. Um, But we had such a laugh because, you know, in this big buildup to, her having the sport experience, you know, she's still a four and a half year old. And at that age, it's all about the snacks, no matter what. So, I mean, it was certainly a a reality check for us that we, we laugh about, you know, with this thinking that it was going to be this, you know, like, here we go. This is what we've been, you know, waiting for. And no, it's about the snacks.
0: (laughs) But eventually she became a really super great basketball player.
1: Yeah. So she got the chance to do, I would say it's from middle school through high school. um, Each summer she got to do a wheelchair sports camp up in Denver that exposed kids to all different types of sports. And so um, she'd go up, they'd play wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, they would swim, they would do sled hockey, archery, they would uh, tennis, they would just get to try a whole bunch of different things. And probably about the time that she was sixth or seventh grade, she was starting to really express an interest in doing more basketball and, um, you know, trying things on a more regular basis. And, um, that also included, um, giving a try of wheelchair track and skiing. And so, um, from that experience that she had at camp, we connected with a gentleman who ran the club in Denver And so in eighth grade, she started to do wheelchair basketball on a more regular basis. She was also trying skiing and track at the same time. So by her, I guess, sophomore year in high school, she was doing all three sports. And that was tough, but it was also great because she was getting to try all three. And, you know, she could really then see which one she had the most passion for. And that was wheelchair basketball. Okay. So she had a great junior career, um, had the chance to then go and play at the University of Illinois mm-hmm. for their women's wheelchair basketball team and played five years at U of I. Um, so with COVID, they were granted an additional year of eligibility um, and graduated with her bachelor's degree and then her master's degree as well and um, And just this past spring, had the chance to, um, she uh, did national team tryouts. Uh, She had done national team tryouts uh, uh, two other times and had missed the cut. But this past spring, made the national team pool and got to represent Team USA at the um, America's Qualifier um, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. So very cool. Yeah. 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 That's
0: exciting. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah. So it was a, it was a great season for her. It was her last year playing for Illinois. Um, they had a phenomenal season, got to the national championship and won- lost in a buzzer beater, <laughs> nail biter. Yeah. Um, but they had an amazing season and then from there went to team tryouts, made it into the the pool, got selected to compete in the continental qualifier. And, um, so yeah, it was a great year for her
0: for sure. That's amazing. And that's really great that to have this long arc and still be on team USA, especially through COVID. I don't think, you know, COVID was tough on everybody. And it was, it was really, yeah, it was tough. So, so did she stay at school all that time or did she, you know, how they do the school that one year off or whatever?
1: So she did. So like everybody in March of 20, when everything shut down, everything, you know, school shut down, she came home, uh, did remote learning. um, But then in the fall did go back to school, even though they were still um, remote classroom, Mm -hmm. the team did practice because there was some anticipation that come January that they would get to play. But um, the school, the university itself opted out of athletics for all of their students. Wow, okay. So she did go back and um, live in Champaign while she was doing school. <clears throat> and then the following year, um, same, she went back and um, basically went to school, lived in Champagne, and um, did her last season. So that's amazing. Yeah. Champagne has a long history
0: of, Besides this school, yeah. but a big one in gymnastics too. I hear that from the old school, right?
1: <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, even going there and visiting her, we would sometimes go to volleyball tournaments. And the hall that they have for volleyball and gymnastics, you know, has their Hall of Famers listed on the wall. So a lot of familiar names on that wall that you and I both know. So Abby <laughs> yeah. Grossfeld, yeah. Nancy Marshall or Nancy Thies Marshall and, uh, Charles Lake. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Fun to see those names. Oh, that's fun. That's amazing. So tell me before we're finishing up, what would you kind of, what would be your words to other parents as far as, because you obviously put such effort in there to make sure your daughter was able to participate in sport and we, it's already tough, but then also for accessible sports, you have to take that other thing. So what would you kind of tell parents that may have to, you know, go down this road?
1: Yeah, I think I'll talk, uh, like, for just the opportunity for kids to do sport, Mm -hmm. it's keep in mind and remember that while what they're doing on the field at the time is great and wonderful, always, always keep in mind that those are life lessons that they're learning, that they're not going to take that, you know, unless you're part of that very, you know, small percentage of, percentage of (laughs) young, you know, athletes that, have the opportunity to play professionally which is awesome but keep in mind keep the big picture in mind that um sport is really a means for learning some great life lessons and learning you know learning um ways to be you know great adults and and great you know employees in the workplace um attention to detail focus commitment um, determination; those are all great attributes that that athletics gives to kids. And so, when I coached, I coached for a number of years. I always tried to look at myself more than a, as more than a coach, but more as a mentor, teacher, and role model. Um, knowing that you know, I would probably have to spend a session or a rotation with my athlete trying to break down a skill or or learn it in a you know and be extremely focused on that. But knowing that that work and that skill, they weren't going to take with them (laughs) into their first job. But what were they going to take with them to the first job was like, how are they able to handle um, when it's difficult, when they're facing a challenge? So what was I doing as a coach to try to break through with that athlete to accomplish that skill in a way that they were leaving with the kind of skill set to then Mm -hmm. adapt to other things? I think as a parent of a child with a disability and looking kind of in the adaptive sports space, um, I see a lot of parents who, you know, you're the, you are your child's protector. And so a lot of times parents have to be like ultra tuned into safety for your child um, whether it's um, <clears throat> helping or assisting them with a physical task or helping and assisting in the school uh, setting or the classroom. Um, And so a lot of times parents will take on that, you know, protector role beyond an age that the child might need because it's how we're programmed (laughs) based on what those early needs are. And so knowing and having the background that Matt and I had in sport and knowing what, how important it was to, have both of our girls have that sport experience. Um, you know, I think it's funny because you watch sports like wheelchair basketball and they're in these, you know, pretty cool looking chairs and the wheels, you know, they can spin really quickly. They can go really fast. And sometimes that results in the, you know, the chair tipping over they'll, they'll take a fall pretty hard one, but they're strapped in their chair. So it's not just them falling on the ground. It's the chair and the equipment falling with them. And um, like when Abby was skiing, you know, she's going down the hill pretty fast. Right. Um, so if she falls, she's falling with that equipment strapped to her. Um, and it's this, oh my gosh, doesn't it worry you? Aren't you scared? And heck yeah, like I was always worried and scared, but that I wasn't going to take that experience or that opportunity away from her and let fear get in that way because. She's still a kid, and still, you know, the, those experiences are important. You want to make sure that you're putting them in as safe an environment as you can, but don't be afraid to let them let them go and and experience some of those difficulties at times. One of the um, so when Abby first started playing wheelchair basketball, the team um, typically and pretty most often would have to travel for any game that they would play. So her first trip was to Phoenix, and part of what you had to do as a wheelchair basketball player is you were responsible for handling all of your own equipment and your bags by yourself. And so so she's got her everyday chair that she uses plus her basketball chair plus her bag. And she's got to get from the check-in counter to the gate by herself. So how does that work? Well, she puts her ball chair in front of her. She pushes herself while she's pushing her ball chair and then has her bag sitting on the ball chair. And I think the natural tendency for parents is to let me carry your bag or let me push your ball chair. But it was a bit of rite of passage for her that this was a really important independent skill that she had to learn to, to be part of the team, but also as a traveler. I mean, and so for parents, you know, with children who have disabilities, you know, you're always having to offer a lot of assistance, but be okay with stepping back and letting those, you know, the kids figure out the things that they can do um, by themselves. And um, that was by far the best, the, the best kind of lesson for us to see that, if we just step back and let her figure some of this out, she will. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But that lifelong skill will be you know, extremely important.
0: That's amazing. And that's great. And I, that's a wonderful story to to work from because it really it it shows everything. That like she wants to get there, she wants to do it and this is going to be hard, but if you do it then you really open up a lot more opportunities for yourself.
1: That's amazing. Absolutely, I think those early experiences traveling with her team mm-hmm. allowed her to have the confidence to know that she could go away to school and be a, a student living several states away. And without that, that would have probably been a hard transition for her. So, wow! And and how she flourished, right? Yeah, bachelor's
0: and master's and the national team or Team USA—that's a lot. So, Michelle, for one, it's been super great. For one, I don't get to see my folks enough. <laughs> It's <laughs> like Michelle's come to the gym. She's been in Harlem, you know. She do, um, but it's really great. It's really great to share this with you because it's been a long
1: journey. And I know, yeah. I know. yeah. And now I don't know. If, I mean, I know you know that I work at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic right. Museum now in Colorado Springs. And so, what's really cool is we have a facility that was designed with a universal design. Yeah, and we get to welcome. Uh, Olympic and Paralympic athletes with that same kind of open arms, universal design approach. Um and so th- it's really cool because my experience of building the playground is really wow and has really played into what I do now at the museum. And um just a really quick story I'll uh share is uh summer of twenty one during the Tokyo Games, I met a young family who had just moved to Colorado Springs, three young children, their youngest has Spina bifida. And mom and her youngest son Liam came to the museum and it was a life-changing experience for her to see that like athletes that have spina bifida can accomplish like they can be the world's best athletes. And so with her son being quite young, she was still in that very kind of, you know early stage of lots of medical things to figure out, very busy and and pretty overwhelming. And so um she wrote an amazing note um via email and then we got to connect and kind of talk a little bit later. But it was pretty full circle for me because while I'm standing there talking to her, I, I'm thinking that was me several years ago as a young mom going, gosh, how you know, like this is a really big undertaking <laughs> to be, you know, a young mom and also to, you know, learn about spina bifida, um, what the medical interventions are, and then to manage and balance all of that. But then to see, you know, that there, if, if any of our children want to pursue this, that there is a path and that they can have like an amazing experience and opportunity to do that. And until you see it and you can relate to, um, you know, representation matters. So when they walk in as a family and they see pictures of athletes um, who've done great things, that's, it's huge. So it's cool because I continue to do, you know, that work and continue to see and experience those um, kind of visit interactions that, that are extremely fulfilling.
0: Yeah, no, that's really exciting because, you know, I've been to a few Paralympic Games and people don't You know, they don't understand how it works. And and when you're there, it's really amazing. But now that the museum is open and what you're able to do, that you can go one place and experience it all together, that's really exciting and that it's universal. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot with working on the bid. And when you work with Paralympics, which is actually such a fabulous event, which I totally, totally um, enjoy because I've been to both
1: winter and summer Paralympic Games. Amazing, yeah, but I think it's so great. I tell people it's the best kept secret in sport that, like, if you haven't been to a Paralympic Games, right, you are missing out totally missing yeah. out.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely good stuff. So, we, we learned it here. So, next time, <laughs> a couple more years, yeah, it's uh, LA 28.
1: Yes, right. I know my
0: girl, California girl, that's right, going back home. That's amazing, yeah, that's great. Well, I wish you the best, Michelle. Tell all the family I said, hey, hey, hey. Um, I'm so glad. Thank you for coming on to share, and I really appreciate it. It's good to get to talk, and you know, give everybody my best. Last I'm sure I'm see you soon somewhere. <laughs>
1: so thank you. Well, thank you, Wendy. I I just um missing you, you know, on a more regular basis. Uh, it was great to see you a few years ago when I was there and uh, stopped at your gym. But I think now it's your turn to come out. Sure. Come visit us at the museum, and um, you. Have for so many years done amazing and great work, and so always in awe of what you do and and your passion and de- dedication to uh, your foundation and your programs is just second to none. So, thank goodness, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wendy. <laughs>